0: All right, real quick, turn to somebody sitting near you and uh, share with them your favorite kind of tree, okay? This is not, if you're wondering, this is not like some kind of Stanford, you know, joke set up or about the basketball game last night. Just real quick, just share it with someone, your favorite kind of tree. Christmas. It's good, it's good. All right, okay. So take that, sort of set it aside and um, we're gonna come back to that in a little bit. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we gather in this place, you are with us. And Jesus, you have no rival, no equal. And we want to live with you and for you. And so as we open up your word, would you help us to be rooted and planted and grounded in your love for us? Amen. Will you say yes to following Jesus? Will you trust in him? And will you learn to become his disciple? This is the great decision of life. So in this new year, which I know is not really a new year anymore, it's already Super Bowl Sunday, which um, I know that we have at least one Eagles fan in our congregation. Harper, can you bring that to me? You don't have to claim allegiance to the Eagles for bringing this to me. I know it's, you're like a shame, a walk of shame. This is not mine. Steve McLean is one of our pastors, and this is his fireman's helmet. He has it on his desk. I stole it from him, and I'm going to give it back to him tomorrow, but um, you know, there, I, there's a few people cheering for the eagle. I'm just going to give this back to you because it's really, I don't want pictures on. But we've tried to launch into 2023 with this one great question. Will we become disciples of Jesus? Now, part of this is just demystifying that word disciple, which when Jesus uses this word, and he used it a lot, It wasn't a super spiritual, churchy kind of insider word. It was simply a student, a learner, a follower. And we've tried to be real clear about this. Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. That word Christian shows up three times in the Bible. Disciple is used 269 times. And in the first century, every disciple followed a rabbi. And the idea was you would draw near to them so that you could learn from them how to become like them. And here's the thing, and I, w- I wish I would have said this earlier in the series, but we are all disciples of someone or something. We were created as creatures who learn by following someone else. We learn by being disciples. That's how we're formed. So the question is never, will I follow But who will I follow? It is never, will I be a disciple? But whose disciple will I choose to be? Will I say yes? Who will I say yes to and allow them to form me and frame the direction of my life? This is how we're created to learn. It starts when we're young and with our parents, right? Who teach us how to live a certain way. Now that process may be incredibly frustrating. And sometimes as a dad, I wonder if my little disciples are paying any attention to the voice of the rabbi or they're just rebelling against the rabbi or maybe they think the other rabbi in our house is, you know, they prefer that rabbi over my teaching. But parenting is an act of discipleship. They're learning from you how to become like you. Then along the way, we become disciples of our teachers. And then it's your mentors, your community, your friend group, or even the people that you follow and track on social media. They're teaching you a certain way of life. I'll try to give you a loose example. Uh, When I was in college in uh, Northern California, I had grown up in Texas and I had never surfed before. But freshman year, I got the surfing bug and um, just down the highway from our campus were some of the best surf breaks in California. And so that summer, I had to get a job and I needed to make some money. And so um, I applied for and actually got a summer internship at La Jolla Presbyterian Church. Now, if you've ever been to La Jolla, has anybody been to La Jolla? Like, this is one of the prettiest places on the planet. And um, this is the church that I was going to be working at. And it's on the beach. Like, this is, uh, do we have that image of, yeah, that's, that's where the church is. So I was pretty fired up about serving Jesus and being called to this church for this job. Now, this is a surf break that the church looks out over, and it actually has a name. The locals in La Jolla and the kind of uh, uh, PB, uh, San Diego area, they call this surf break hospitals. Why do you think they call it hospitals? I'll let you use your imagination, but it's a really shallow reef break, and so if you don't know what you're doing, you may end up in the hospital if you try and surf. That break. But this was, I mean, it was absolutely, this was a great job. My, my job that summer was to become a disciple of the youth pastor at this La Jolla church. I spent every day with him. I followed him everywhere he went. I tried to learn from him so that I could become like him, and every day he took me surfing, sometimes twice a day, and we just invited kids, invited students, and we went out and we surfed, and this was my job all summer long. Like, it was the best job ever. I didn't want to go back to college. I just wanted to stay with the rabbi. Now, when Jesus invited people to become his disciples, there was a certain kind of simplicity to it. It meant that they would literally be with him and go wherever he went so that they could learn to do some of the things that he did. And for his first disciples, the reality and the cost of discipleship was a bit more clear. Like, they had to leave certain things behind family or jobs or commitments so that they could go and be with Jesus as he walked from region to region, showing them what life in the kingdom looked like. And see, even though we can't physically be with Jesus in the same way, the call remains the same. Will you decide that the most important thing that you can do with your life is to be with Jesus so you can learn from him how to become like him no matter the cost? Even though we cannot literally walk and be covered by the dust of the rabbi like Peter and James and John, we can live in his constant presence. If you remember back, if you were here for the way that we opened this series, as Jesus left this world and he gave his disciples this promise, he said, behold, I am with you always. He is with us. Jesus wants to be with you. If you'll ask him and if you want him to. And with him as his disciples, we can actually learn to do the things that he did. We can learn how to pray the way that Jesus did. We can learn to love our enemies. We can learn how to bless those who who say terrible things about us and, and trash our reputations. We can be kind and honoring and loving to people with whom we deeply disagree about things like politics and social issues. We can walk the second mile with someone who's oppressing us. We can give to the person who asks without any condition. Jesus will actually show us how to live like that. So, Will you say yes to following Jesus? And will you learn, will you trust him? Will you become his disciple? This is the great decision of life. Now, as we wrap up this series today, um, next week we're gonna start a new series. It's gonna take us all the way through the season of Lent and to Easter Sunday, and I'm really excited about uh, this, this series. You want me to keep it a secret until next week and it just be a surprise? Or you want me to tell you right now? Okay, you ready for this? we're gonna talk about the seven deadly sins. Doesn't that sound fascinating? Like, aren't you motivated to not wanna miss a single Sunday and like change your plans between now and Easter? Honestly, I'm really looking forward to this because mostly it's about freedom. And it's about how God leads us into freedom from sin and bondage and anything that enslaves or keeps us from living the life that he intended for us to live. But on this last Sunday of this discipleship journey, I want to leave us with an image that runs through the Bible of a person deeply rooted in God. This is from Ephesians 3, and this is Paul praying over a church that he helped to plant And it's a prayer for the church, even in our day. So Ephesians 3, starting in verse 17. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For as long as I can remember, this has been a real significant uh, text for me. It's the first scripture I ever memorized when I was a summer camp counselor at Kanakuk. But this image of rootedness Paul's prayer that the disciples in Ephesus would be deeply rooted in love. Which, just to state the obvious, his prayer is that they would be rooted in love. Not in doctrine, not in right theology, not in knowledge or obedience, and not even in faith. That you may be rooted in love. And what do we know about God? God is love. And in recent years, this picture of a deeply rooted life uh, has become increasingly important to me, and I want to try to explain that. I talked a couple weeks ago about the decision to move here to Highland Park and to serve this church, and you know, one of the biggest hurdles for Ali and me as we prayed and discerned was just leaving a place and a church that we loved so much in Atlanta. Well, along the way, there was a the group of guys who lived here in Dallas who started praying for me and with me, every week on Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was still in Atlanta. They were here in Dallas. uh, But they wanted to pray over me and over our family as we prepared for this transition. Some of these were friends from college. Some of them were part of this church. Many of them were not a part of this church, but they cared for this church. And more than any of that, they cared for what God was doing in our city. Now, the friend whose idea it was to sort of gather this group of guys to pray, his name's Baxter. And we were roommates in college. And uh, one of those Wednesday mornings as we were praying, I, I, re- I so vividly remember as he began to describe this image um, as a way of praying with me and over me. And it's stuck with me ever since. And it, is, it was a certain kind of tree now, this brings us back to the question, what's your favorite tree? And, you know, uh, maybe there's someone in the room who chose this one. But as we were praying together that morning, he started describing this deeply rooted oak tree. And I, I, I believe it was th- that it was a live oak. And for him, it was an image that, that in whatever way God had given him of Highland Park Press. And so I asked him afterwards, because it just struck, with me, uh, struck me, and he described to me, because uh, I wasn't very familiar with live oaks at the time, uh, but he said that these trees, they have this root system that runs so deep and so strong under the ground, and you can't see this profound root system, and this tree may not grow to like 100 feet tall, like these giant towering pine trees that you have in Georgia, but the live oak, it is a strong and resilient and weathered kind of tree. And almost nine years later, I have never forgotten that. And, uh, you know, as we've settled into being Texans, which can I just say that, is that official? Like, no, Van Amber, come on, man, it's been nine years. My kids are learning Texas history in third grade. They know more about the Alamo than I do. It's official. But along the way, as much as I miss the the beautiful pine trees, I have grown to love the live oak. And so I've done a little research. The southern live oak is also known as the uh, Quercus virginiana. Everybody say that with me. Quercus virginiana. It has a deep taproot that anchors it when it's young, but eventually it develops into this extensive and, and widespread root system, which along with its low center of gravity, And its evergreen leaves makes the live oak extremely resistant to strong winds and harsh conditions and things like hurricanes. I have an arborist friend. I've I've never used that phrase before. I have a friend who is an arborist and works with trees. And um, he used to help with the trees in our backyard. He looks like Willie, Willie Nelson. That's neither here nor there. But he loves trees. And so one day I asked him about the live oak. And here is, here's how Willie described it. And I wrote this down um, wondering if someday I would use this in a sermon. Here's, but here's what he said. Live oaks are hard, heavy, and difficult to work with sometimes, but very strong. Okay, does that sound at all kind of like us? Highland Park Presbyterian Church? Like durable, heavy weathered through all kinds of storms and yeah maybe sometimes a little bit difficult to work with but because of these deep roots we endure and we are strong and I have grown to love this about the church that you and I serve together There is a rootedness here among these disciples that runs deep into the soil and holds this place steady. These roots, they're a part of our story. They're the enduring strength of what God continues to do in and through this church. So just to name a few of these roots, beginning, of course, with our unwavering devotion to Jesus, abiding in him, Depending on him, we are a Jesus church and we can have all kinds of differences in this room or a place like this, different backgrounds, different, uh, uh, different cultural stories, different views about what's going on in the world. But if we have Jesus in common, then what we have in common is far greater than anything that threatens to divide us. Then this commitment to living under the authority of scripture, even when that's hard and, and when it stands in the face of strong prevailing winds, we are rooted in God's word and God willing, that will never change. Then this unyielding passion for mission, for reaching beyond these walls into our city and to the ends of the earth with this message that Jesus is the hope of the world and there is no other hope for the world. Then I think about how prayer has sort of extended the root system. Almost a hundred years of the the disciples and saints who've prayed and fallen to their knees and they have begged for God to move and to rescue and to do more than we could even ask for or imagine. I think about our prayer room, which is right off of Wynn Chapel. Maybe you've never been in there before. It's this tiny little room. There's basically a lamp and a chair And in that tiny room, someone is keeping watch and praying intercessory prayers over you and over me by name and for the greatest hurts and wounds and needs of this church. And there's just something about that nonstop, continuous prayer through the days and through the months and through the years and the decades that is a part of our foundation as a church. Then with the live oak, I thought about this image of a tree that is evergreen, always green. And how God planted us in the heart of a community that just seems to always be drawing young families looking to raise the next generation to know God and to love God and to share that love with others. And when we are healthy, there is new growth and new life. Doesn't mean that other branches or older branches are any less valuable or strong, but there is always new life and growth. Then I even laughed a little bit as um, I thought about how maybe sometimes we are not as quick to change or pivot or grow something new as some of the other trees in the forest might be at times. We may not be the fastest growing tree, but when we do, It is anchored and grounded in a story and a legacy and a history that is so much bigger than any one branch or any one of us or any one generation. And I'll tell you, the longer I'm around this place, the more I thank God for that. Then I thought a little bit about our history and how this is true for this church. It's also true for every one of us who lives in a fallen world. But sometimes we've had to endure through seasons of pruning where parts of the tree were lost or cut away or split off. And when that happens, it is so painful. And often you wonder, why would God allow this to happen? And, 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 and some of you who've been here for a long time, you still carry some of those scars. But what is also true is that pruning can make you stronger and more resilient, and in a strange way, in the economy of God, it actually makes us healthier in our dependence and surrender and just desperation for Jesus. That's Paul's prayer for the church. May you be rooted and grounded in love. Just a few other glimpses of this through the Bible. We're almost done. And maybe as we walk through some of these, you might be thinking about your life or maybe your experience of the church. So take, for example, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the place that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. This image of a disciple whose delight is in God's word. You ever felt that way about reading the Bible? Thursday, I was having coffee with somebody, a good friend, and he's just gone gone through the gauntlet right now with his family and just some struggles in his life. And he said that reading the Bible and meditating on Scripture has just been this source of surprising joy. Not obligation, not duties, not trying to earn anything. He's just delighting in God's word. Even, he went on to say, even in Leviticus. Like he said, he's like, right now um, I'm in Leviticus, which is where most Bible reading plans go to die. Um, But he just said, it's weird, The plan has me in Leviticus and just now every time I come across this phrase without blemish I underline it because it reminds me of of Jesus and I thought dang that's brilliant like that's how you get through Leviticus. Here's another one from 2 Kings and and this is a beautiful image and the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward and I love that image that you, you can't bear fruit upward without reaching and taking root downward, abiding in Jesus, staying connected with him. Let's not focus on the fruit. Let's focus on the root. Let's be that kind of church. Then other times in scriptures, God kind of warns his people that as strong and rooted as they may be, that, that God will remove his blessing from us if we don't live for him and put him first. This is the prophet Ezekiel, and he's speaking a word of warning. He says, In the 11th year in the third month on the first day, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, okay, most powerful man in the world, who can be compared with you in majesty? Consider Assyria, once a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches overshadowing the forest. It towered on high, its top above the thick foliage. This is one big, towering tree. The waters nourished it, deep springs made it grow tall. So it towered higher than all the trees of the field. The birds of the sky nested in it, and the animals of the wild gave birth under it. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was majestic in beauty. What an incredible tree. Wouldn't you want to be a tree like that? But, but, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because the great cedar towered over the thick foliage and because it was proud of its height, because it grew prideful of what God alone had caused to grow, therefore, I gave it into the hands of the ruler of the nations. For him to deal with according to its wickedness, I cast it aside, and the most ruthless of foreign nations cut it down and left it. And I know that's a hard word, but church, as deeply rooted as we may be, and all the ways that God has seen fit to bless this spiritual house, if we get distracted, or we get complacent or self-congratulatory or we begin to think along the way that we did this, we become prideful of the great things we are doing and the lives that we are changing. If we make it about us, God will remove his blessing. So we need to stay humble and low and on our knees and never forgetting how utterly dependent we are on the grower. All we can do is abide. All we can do is stay connected and rooted in Jesus. So this one last image, and we'll close with this. It's the last book of the Bible. This takes us to the very last page of the story where Jesus says to his church, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Jesus is the root, and He is the only root that can sustain us through the storm. So let's focus on the root and not on the fruit. Would you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for your call to come and follow you. It's the great decision of life. And I pray that we would say yes and just experience the, um, this love that is wider and higher and deeper and broader than anything we could ever experience apart from you. Even as we go from this place today, would you grow those strong and resilient roots that we might be connected to and dependent on you? In Jesus' name, amen.